umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we have the duty to talk about Michigan's 49 to 11 loss to the Wisconsin Badgers in primetime. Again, another primetime beating broadcast to the nation. Well, Clint, what'd you think about that one? You know, it's it's demoralizing as a a fan of the whole program, lifelong, long-term fan of of Michigan football. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's painful to watch and it it makes you kind of question whether you're spending your time correctly on Saturdays. You know, that's, that's, you know, the long and short of it from, from a personal perspective for me. You know, I today, you know, my kids were in bed for the game last night, but today I had to make a decision whether we were going to watch it together when they asked, you know, how the game went. So, um, you know, that, those are the things that I didn't want to subject my kids to because they would have been as sad as I was last night watching that debacle. So it's frustrating, of course, for everybody. And I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll talk more about out of that, but those feel uh that i in uh you know to this team and and college football in general but man, as a fan it's it's just brutal it's a total gut punch well clint and like you said we we can talk about the game you know the disappointing thing for me is that you know i, I try to be objective i try to evaluate i mean anybody can look at the scoreboard and go wow they got rocked right and it's usually deeper than that. You know, you can look, you know, we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Um, when you break down the game tape, you could, you know, see some glimpses of what they were trying to do. You could, you know, see some hope. And I think the disappointing for, thing for me in, you know, as I subjected myself to that game for the second time today, rewatching it, was it's just bleak. And... You know, I, I think it's for me, it's larger than that. You know, one of the, the things that I do when I'm evaluating Michigan football before every season is I take the name off and I say, OK, imagine if this was Acme, right? If this was just a random football team, how would you judge it and how you eva- how would you evaluate it? Because I think sometimes you can get swayed by the personalities and especially with with the access that we have. Um, I've noticed that I can be swayed because I like people, you know, you, you talk to them over, over the years and, and you have a kind of a relationship, you see them up close, but you kind of have to strip things away to be objective, you know, and, and to say, Hey, what, what's a realistic goal for the team? Right. And like I said, I normally do that before the season, you know, I don't do that before every game. So what I had to come to grips with after last night's game is I had to say, okay, if this wasn't Jim Harbaugh, if this was, you know, Jim Smith, right, and I was watching Acme, what would I think about the performance that I saw? And what would I think about knowing that this is six years in and, you know, yes, we have COVID and, and that is, a, you know, add some, some, some sauce to the goose, but 
you know, you saw a Wisconsin program, they're six years in, right? And again, I, I, I stripped it away and, and I'm I'm really in a in a dark place in evaluating Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football right now. And I can't dress it up any other way. You know, you know, again, it's I'm I'm not to the point where I'll be rooting against him or this team. You know, I I never see myself doing that. But as it, you know, if you look at this objectively, things are looking very very bleak. So I'm wondering, uh, as you broke down the the game film, um, if you were able to find anything positive, and then we can talk about you know the game as it as it went as it progressed. Well. The start of the game was, was the right foot forward, right? Wisconsin won the toss, chose to receive. Michigan did not start real hot out of the gate on defense, but forced them to punt, and and then eventually, you know, they're, they're okay. Now, now you got to kind of build some momentum, right? And the fact that the defense was not the same poison pill this week was was encouraging at least to start and then first play from scrimmage was a a, a kind of a forced throw into coverage um it, it it's not the worst throw that joe milton's made um probably could have and should have been caught by the tight end by uh nick eubanks but it pops up in the air and, and wisconsin picks it off and then you know that leads to a, a first quarter where Michigan runs 10 plays in the quarter for one net yard and Wisconsin runs 22. Right. And, and we know who Wisconsin is. They're, they're hammering and hammering and hammering kind of offense. We know that they've been, um, while we expected them to be a little bit discombobulated from the time off, we know that they're well rested. Right. We know that, you know, they've only played one game in, 14 months so it's uh it's 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 been it started out positively because they had closed the gap on some of the problems that were so glaring from the michigan state game and then the indiana game and then um offensively it was something else you know and and it was a bad sign i think when we saw the uh who was inactive again, but both starting tackles on your offensive line. Um, we knew that Wisconsin has a very, very good defense and, and we knew they were going to have to play their absolute best game to stay close. And, and they did not. So in terms of positives, I, I would say at least the defense, I think Vincent Gray showed that he, he built a little bit more confidence or, or showed some success in coverage and kept his head up uh, even when things did not go well. I think we saw uh, some younger guys along the defensive line um, that showed the the ability early on when the the score was still close. They showed the ability to get off blocks and make a couple plays. Um, But really, it's hard to assess even individually uh, on this defense how ridiculously imbalanced or, or, you know, the, the announcers on the broadcast, Herb Street and Fowler mentioned that it seemed like the field was tipped, right? Because the ball hadn't even gone to Wisconsin's side of the field um, in the first half, other than two times when, when Michigan had kicked it over there. So, 
you know, Michigan ran 26 plays in the first half and 46 for the whole game. Uh, Wisconsin ran 22 in the first quarter. You know, that's, that's how you get ground down to pulp. And of course it's going to get out of hand when that happens. Right. So the, it's, it's really unfair to try to evaluate any individual uh, performance on that defense. I, I think, um, not that not to excuse poor performances because they were there, but anything that happened once the game was out of hand was uh, is really tough to to draw any conclusions from. So we really got to kind of zoom in on what went wrong and what went right in early on in the first and, and maybe the second quarter. Well, what went wrong is like you said, the very first play from scrimmage for the Michigan offense. You had a ball that, as you said, probably should have been caught but wasn't, right? And batted up and, you know, turned into an interception and, and that was bad, right? But you look at that and you can understand, like I can, I look at it and I go, I can understand why the ball was thrown. You know, I get it, right? So Michigan gets the ball back and then Milton throws another interception that was inexplicable, right? And it's, it's, it was so demoralizing and so frustrating. So it's, you know, one of the things that the announcers talked about was, and, and, you know, Twitter made a big deal about is it was, you know, a huge halftime deficit for Michigan to, to head into the locker room with. Right. And what it reminded me of was, um, you know, the 2007 season when Oregon came in, right? And I, I went and looked up the stats, and, you know, Michigan lost 39-7. to The saving grace was Michigan scored a touchdown early, right? But I remember that game, and, you know, what, I, what most people remember about that season was that, you know, it opened with the loss to Appalachian State. And, you know, Michigan followed up that, you know, that heartbreaking loss with, you know, just a drubbing by Dennis Dixon, okay, the quarterback for, for Oregon. And, you know, unfortunately he was injured later, but the guy was an absolute beast, okay? He was a, a superman among men on the field that day. But what was demoralizing about the game yesterday was, as you said, Wisconsin is who we thought they were, okay? They really, there was no surprises Yes, Michigan was down two offensive linemen and two defensive linemen with Quiddy Pay being out in street clothes and Aiden Hutchinson being out. But, you know, you got to play the games, right? And it it looked just um you know, uh you know, I didn't like the body language. I didn't like the the uh kind of the chippiness that that Michigan brought when they were kind of getting you know, schooled. Um, again, I just, I, I, I don't like what I'm seeing from this team. I don't like, uh, you know, obviously the direction, right? I mean, don't like the record, but just, um, just really, really disappointed. And really, you know, I was thinking I, on the rewatch, I'm like, when did this game end? Okay. And, you know, for me, it was when Michigan is, you know, uh, fourth and goal in the second quarter. And they have a play lined up and, you know, we can look at the formation cause we've seen this, this team play 
and we know who is going to get the ball. And the announcers look at the formation, and they know who's going to get the ball. And Wisconsin can look at the formation, and they know who's going to get the ball. And they call a timeout, right? And Michigan comes out and runs the, the same play, same formation, and um, Joe Milton got stuffed. Now, what was frustrating to me in that is you got to know who you are, right? And who Michigan is at that point is a team that's struggling down two offensive linemen. And there was no way on God's green earth they were going to power that ball in, okay? Especially after Wisconsin calls a timeout, draws their defense in. And, and it's just, it's really... You know, if there's one play that just epitomized my frustration with, with last night was, you know, I knew what they were going to run. You knew what they were going to run. The announcers knew what they were going to run. Wisconsin knew that they were going to run. And they tried to just run it anyway. And, and at that point, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just, it, it just it's infuriating, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you back in time a little bit from there to the first quarter because that was that drive started in the second quarter it was the first time michigan had the ball in the second quarter at the time they were down 28 to nothing so they they did put some success together drove down the field and it ended on the one yard line like like you just described before that their last possession of the first quarter they're down 21 to nothing it's it's emergency time right it's okay well if you're going to make up a three touchdown hole which is a, a very low probability, you know, uh, occurrence. It's not likely that you're going to actually dig out, but if you are, you're going to have to score quickly, either with some big chunk plays, or like I like I kind of alluded to a little bit before the game, uh, blocking some kicks. Right? You're just you're going to have to find some lightning in a bottle to pick up some points, especially once you've dug yourself a hole. Their last possession, down twenty-one nothing in the first quarter. They get the ball at the 28-yard line. It's an incomplete pass, short left. They run the ball inside with Charbonnet for two yards. So on third and eight, down 21-0 at the 30-yard line, they ran an outside zone play um, that got stuffed. Um, He gained three yards. They punt, and Wisconsin just marches back down and goes up 28 to nothing. So that, that sequence there has so much that that that's the microcosm moment for me like uh, what you were describing because there's there's total inexplicable uh uh planning right what, what are we trying to accomplish there at the end of the first quarter when you're you're clearly shell-shocked again for the third time in three weeks um there's a lack of confidence in your players to make plays so you're you're, you're running a pretty standard you know outside zone play and, and and to be to be fair right running the ball on third and the eight is you look like a genius if you pick it up right so if there's something that you think you've got intelligence wise that that you're going to be successful um on third and eight running the ball and it doesn't work out that's fine but all of the information that we have from before that right their longest run before that was was two yards um and 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 as we mentioned you're you're missing both of your starting tackles so 
your standard outside zone play is not likely, right? We're talking fractions of a percent of picking up eight yards there. So I don't think that they're waving the white flag at that point. I don't, you know, I, I think that there's some other, some other defect there in the play calling or trying to trying to prove something else or trying to establish something else. Um, but that was the moment that it was, I could feel it starting to collapse. I think I put out there on Twitter that, okay, uh, was they got to stop Wisconsin on this next drive after that punt and score, right? 21, seven, I'll keep trying to kind of, inject some optimism into this. But if, if they go up 28, nothing after Michigan runs the ball on third and eight, then I got to get, I don't have anything positive to say and I don't want to spew right. Ridiculousness on social media. So, and, and that's what happened. You know, Wisconsin takes it down and scores. I shut it down and then they went on that long drive. I said, well, good. I got off of Twitter and now it looks like they're at least showing some fight. And then we got to the moment that you mentioned where Wisconsin takes a timeout, clearly sets themselves up to stop that quarterback power play and, and then does so effectively. So it's uh, the the killer for me. Now, and I'm, I'm going to transition a little bit to a little bit larger picture still within this game. But with the, the numbers that I collect and try to kind of provide some insight as the game is going on, Michigan's success rate in the first quarter, 0%. They ran no successful plays, 0 for 10. Coming out of halftime, down 28 nothing, getting the ball, 0% success rate. Now, that third quarter 0% success rate is a little bit more interesting, and I, and I texted this to you yesterday. It's because by the time they did put something together and kicked a field goal and eventually had a touchdown drive, 28 nothing is garbage time in the third quarter. So it comes out of my statistical analysis. But once they actually kicked that field goal, they were back into non-garbage time. Next time they got the ball, three and out. Wisconsin scored again to go up 35-3, to back to garbage time. Michigan scores to right put up some, some garbage points. So that, from, from a high level, the lack of – the lack of throwing the the haymaker right right as you come out of the locker room in, early in the first quarter, and right when you come out of the locker room in the third quarter, that's a big shortcoming for this season and maybe for the program. I, I'm interested. I might go back and look at year over year uh, some data to see how this holds up. But success rate in the first quarter this year for the offense, thirty percent. Right, and that's a Yesterday's game for Wisconsin was a 17% success rate, and that brought it down to 39% on average. So again, in all four games, averaged, Michigan's got a 30% success rate in the first quarter. That includes a game that they won in Minnesota. You know, they're they're not putting their best foot forward, and that clearly comes to preparation and game planning, which which falls to the staff and, and the head of the staff, of course. You know, being Jim Harbaugh defensively just to give you the same kind of peek at it the defense has given up a 44 percent success rate on average and in the first quarter they're actually holding them to a 41 percent uh success rate so the defense is actually doing better um in the first quarter compared to the other quarters but offensively coming out 
and only being successful on three out of 10 plays on average, um, you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball immediately. And this team is just not deep enough, not tough enough, and doesn't have the leadership either in the huddle or on the sideline right now to, to dig out of those holes. And that's what we see. So Clint to pile on, right at the end of the first quarter, Michigan versus Wisconsin. How many yards do you think Michigan had total cumulative on offense? I happen to know this, so I'm cheating, but I think they had six yards in the first quarter. Michigan had one yard. Okay. One total offense, one yard, right? So you know what they had? They had two interceptions. I mean, it's just, it's just, you look at the offense completely. And it was funny because I went to double check because I remember I was tweeting obnoxious stats. And I remember at one point, the one yard even went into uh, the second quarter for a little bit. So I went back and looked at the stats and, and Michigan, cumulative yards, offense, you know, boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Seven true. It takes, uh, it takes five yards off for a, the false start in the first drive. That's the difference between my six and your one. Yeah, is just, I, just unbelievable. So here's a team, okay? And, and I guess I look at this and I say, you know, okay, you got rocked on the road against Indiana. You got beat at home by a bad Michigan State team, right, that we can look at now. And, and it's interesting because as the season goes out, right, we know that that Minnesota win – was practically meaningless, right? Because Minnesota is, is playing so poorly. The Michigan State loss looks even worse, okay? The quarterback that came out and just destroyed them isn't even the starter anymore, right? Uh, you know, moving forward. So you, you look at a team that, you know, basically is having its, uh, you know, its, its, its honor, you know, tested. It's, hey, you know, what do you have? You know, and one of the things they talked about in the broadcast yesterday was, you know, Lee Corso saying, you know, when two guys go up against each other, you find out who's the better man, right? It's basically you reach down and who wants it more. So here's a team that's, that's on its heels. People are upset. Fans are up in arms, questioning their coach, questioning the team. And they came out and put one yard total offense. It's, it's, it's really, really, and again, Six years into the program, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about before is so we expect I expected Jim Harbaugh to really draw great quarterbacks prospects, you know, to the program. Right. So Joe Milton is really the first starting quarterback that was recruited by Harbaugh that wasn't a a transfer. Right. And I'm not bagging on Joe Milton, but he doesn't look great right now. Right. So it's uh, it's really frustrating, really. And you know, you were talking about, hey, do you really want to spend your you know your Saturdays doing this? Um, you know, I, I I flashed forward. I'm like, oh gosh, when's the game next week? And it's another night game, right? And you know, looking at the schedule, it's it's looking pretty bleak. You know, I hope they can pull it together. I hope that they, that you know they can you know pull something out. But at this point, you know, I have no control over whether Jim Harbaugh is going to stay the head coach at, at University of Michigan, right? Um, 
one of the things that's lost in all the despair about the football program is that the university itself has bigger fish to fry, right? Due to COVID, they're estimating that the university system is, is going to be down between $500 million and a $1 billion this year, right? Between the academic side, between the athletic department, and between the hospital system. There are lots of things that, that you know, big problems they're trying to sort out. And, uh, you know, one of the things that John Bacon says is that the, 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 the sports program, specifically football, is kind of the front porch, right? Well, the front porch of the University of Michigan has a busted-up truck on blocks with no engine, and uh, the, the yard is very unkempt, and uh, it doesn't have a lot of street, street value right now. I mean, drive-by value. So it's, it's really, really messy. And, uh, you know, again, I, at this point, if Harbaugh is going to continue on, um, at this point they really just need to start evaluating players and I think, you know, one of the things that he talked about after the game was that, you know, they were going to have to evaluate everything, and including himself. And, you know, at, at this point, I don't know who on this staff is safe. I don't know what starter is safe. Um, again, I mean, do you, you know, if do you start evaluating for next year? Um, again, you know, we had the quarterback change. And, you know, uh, in, uh, when the team is struggling, the most popular player on the team is the second-string quarterback. Cade McNamara came in and, and looked good briefly, right? But, uh, I mean, wow, just a, a, a total eclipse. Okay, just I just feel like from a program perspective, I'm in total darkness right now and uh, really, really, uh, you know, really in a dark place. Yeah, I, I obviously I understand. So let's let me try to. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have any sunshine to, to spread around, that's for sure. But there is, you know, my approach, obviously, as anybody listening can can attest to is, OK, so then what, what are you going to do to solve it? Right. And, and like you said, you and I are going to do nothing to solve it. Well, you know, but that's the, the fun in it for me is to to have this discussion about. So what what's what's next how are you going to solve it I, I don't know who, who the i don't know who's safe on the coaching staff and who's not you know uh, we'll probably dedicate more time in the future to, to discussing those specifics i'm sure but the, the main thing for me in terms of, of analysis or, or an approach is remember the cost of, of changing uh the head coach of a program um not not that every head coaching change is going to lead to disaster um but we we now know also that every head coaching change is you know international title either so just remember that there's a cost to total overhaul of, of your program and, and starting over and if that that has to at least be on the table as a reasonable uh option going forward even the 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 most optimistic or cold analytic view that, that I try to bring has to call a spade a spade and say that you, you have to at least consider whether you have to totally broom everything and, and start fresh. Um, but on the other end, I, I think it's equally viable, hypothetically, for anybody doing the thought experiment to, to say you have to consider 
keeping Harbaugh as a candidate in this comparison, right? I think it's incorrect as a thought experiment to just say, well, clearly he's got to go and the whole staff has to go. And then who's next is, is the conversation. I think that that is a little bit um, short-sighted. The, the question would be, what, what, would have, what, would, what would Harbaugh have to prove if he indeed wanted to be the head coach next year and was being challenged by Ward Manuel as, why should I keep you? All right? in, in that hypothetical conversation, if Ward Manuel saying, why should I keep you for 2021, what, what does Harbaugh say as the, the, the core of what he's built for a program and what he needs to change to, to augment that going forward? And I think for me, that's, that's how I, I want to look at both sides of that coin. I, I, I'm, I'm already starting to look at what candidates might be available around if indeed Harbaugh moves on or the university goes in another direction, just because I want to be prepared for that conversation. But I think also I'm, I'm going to spend time and effort into what can be done to turn the program around if if you do stay, because I, I still don't believe that it's impossible. I, I, I still refuse to, to believe that, that Jim Harbaugh forgot how to coach football or run a football program. I, I just don't think that that is the truth of it. I know that he's failing right now. This team and this program, as it stands right now, halfway through the 2020 season, is is unacceptable by any measure to, to any stakeholder, fan, alum, coach, staff member, player, recruit. It, it, it's unacceptable. However, I, I think it's oversimplified to say, broom everybody, burn it down, start over fresh. Um, I, I think that we can be more measured in that in that conversation. So that's how I plan to look, on, look at it. I, I'm not saying right now until I look a little harder, there's definitely an answer that jumps out because I, I don't think that there is. And, and specifically in the 2020 season and the rest of the schedule that's looking forward, you, you have to beat Rutgers um, or this conversation even changes, right? And my opinion probably changes if they, if they manage to lose to Rutgers next week. Um, you've got Maryland after that at home, or is it Penn state after that? I think Penn state's after that. And then, uh, Maryland after Penn State. Um, yeah, those you, you have Rutgers, three. Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. To, those are to the other three. The those are the other three basement dwellers with the Wolverines right now, right? So, as bad as it is, somehow the schedule is setting up to. You've got three must-win games for for survival mode for Jim Harbaugh as a coach at his alma mater. So, if he can't muster up the, the fire that, that he needs to, to really do what's necessary um, to, to make the improvements over the next three weeks. I, I think you're going to get a, a pretty reasonable measuring stick um, because I think that it's clear that no matter what conversations he's had in the past with Ward Manuel, you know, I know that they were working on a, a contract before COVID kind of stopped everything and the, the whole budget situation changed maybe permanently 
right? It's a totally different conversation now. But just in terms of football, he's got he he can't lose the next three games and then make a case for an an extension. He can't do that. You how how could he be one and one and six going into Columbus? And then, okay, you know, after this game and a couple more, we're going to extend him. So to even keep it as a viable option, even to somebody like me who, who is is more optimistic than anybody else that I know, um, he, he's got to beat Rutgers. He's probably got to beat Penn State, who's also struggling. And he's got to beat Maryland. And, and then at, what, four and three heading into Columbus, you can probably at least – say that there is a foundation on our that our porch even though it looks rickety and and there's no curb appeal at least we don't have to re-pour the foundation and you know that 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 answer is his best case scenario so we'll see what he comes up with so there's two things i think that has to come into that conversation right you have what's occurred up till now and i mean his previous seasons right and that that script is written, okay? And there's some success there. There's not as much as we would have liked. Um, obviously, you know, if you had a few wins over Ohio State, that changes the conversation. If you had a, a trip to Indianapolis to the Big Ten Championship game, that changes that conversation. But we have, a, we have what's in the book so far, right? And, and that's not going to change. I think what needs to change for the rest of this season is they have to head into that Champions Week post-Ohio State, win that game, and and be bowl, bowl eligible, okay? If you are bowl eligible, however you do it, however it happens, um, that's critical for the program. We've talked about this in the past, having those extra weeks of practice, and a chance to evaluate players that you get being bowl eligible. It, it's really the bare minimum for me right now. Okay. So that's the first uh, check, you know, the first thing on my checklist. The second thing is what happens over these next four games, right? Right now, statistically, okay, Michigan ran for 47 yards against Wisconsin. Okay. That's not going to get it done. Okay, I think they had 13 yards against Indiana. That's not getting it done. And yes, you have injuries. I, I think um, what you're going to have to do, and this is kind of what I was alluding to and understanding what kind of team you are, right? You know, I think that Michigan's going to have to uh, look in the mirror and scale back what it's trying to do offensively and, and get a little bit more basic. And, and just try to be successful at, at fewer things and, and scaling back the playbook, okay? I think that, you, you know, we've talked about this, you know, football is tackling, blocking, running, passing, right? They need to start doing some basic things, and it's going to need to start up on, on the offensive and defensive lines. Now, we talked about that they were down two offensive, two offensive uh, linemen, well, okay, the new guys are, are starting to get more experience, so hopefully there can there can be more success there. Um, the defensive line, you know, uh, Don Brown is is 
portrayed as being a great defensive coach. It's time to make some adjustments, perhaps to the system. I don't know what those are. Okay, I have no answers, Clint. But what I need to see, you know, I'm trying to imagine what that conversation would look like with, uh, you know, to to extend them. And it's going to have to be, hey, you know, we we uh, we started out one and three, and then we did. You have to make an argument for some kind of adjustments and some kind of uh, you know, upward trend. Right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of that is you, you got to get to a bowl. Okay. You got to get to a bowl. Um, again, just, just for the program in nuts and bolts, being able to have those extra weeks of practice, um, to evaluate your players, uh, moving into next year. So again, it, it's, uh, the argument to extend Harbaugh is somewhat weighed down by, you know, what's happened the first five seasons. Okay. You know, I, and I think about when we talk about, you know, the Penn state question, right? Penn state's 0-4, right? You know, they've been to Indianapolis. They've had some success. So James Franklin can look at those things and say, yeah, see, you know, this is an aberration and, and look, I've, I've done X, Y, and Z. Um, the X, Y, and Z for what Harbaugh's done in past seasons is is not exactly super stellar, and um, I think that makes this season uh, more critical and, and a little bit harder to take because, you know, we, we've talked about this, you know, over Harbaugh's tenure. What does Michigan want to do? What's their offensive identity? I, I still don't know what that is, and if your identity is is that, on fourth and goal, you can force the ball in. Well, they're not there. <laughs> they're not there. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely right. And if I were to make a, I, I have questions about the whole bowl system, right? I know some bowls have already started to cancel, and and we know that six wins as a minimum entry standard is going to change this year. So I. I'm with you. I, I, I don't know what it's going to take to actually get those extra practices through the end of the season. Um, but, but, but I, I think that some version of that is a, is a reasonable measuring stick for me. You know, it's a conversation about that kind of, uh, the mantra, the enthusiasm unknown to mankind, you know, the, the guy that was just, absolutely um the most fiery competitor that that was on the sidelines the guy that that wore cleats because he he might get into the game at any given time right that what made him weird when when michigan hired him and and those first couple seasons um something happened where that that isn't the same approach you know and and that's that's not going to fix everything. And, and if he were to come out this coming week against Rutgers, all of a sudden be tearing, throwing things and eating his hat, then it would, it certainly would, would not be authentic, but at his core kind of releasing that again, um, that whatever may have died when he got the 15 yard penalty in Columbus in 2016, that, that really hurt the team that day. Um, I think he scaled that back intentionally and um, you know, maybe he's just not being true to himself in some sense since that moment. So um, I, for me, 
from a program standpoint, I, I think he's got to find a way to really inject that uh, that energy and enthusiasm in some way. So, Clint, it's funny that you say that because I'm watching the game last night, and um, you and I both follow baseball, right? We, you know, we have a baseball background, and and so I'm watching the Michigan game yesterday, and I'm thinking, you know what needs to happen? Harbaugh needs to get thrown out of the game, right? And that's not what happens to football coaches. But in a baseball context, that's that's kind of what I was looking for, you know. I'm like, gosh, tear up a downs marker. Throw your clipboard. Something to show your team that this is unacceptable, right? Because like you said, this is a different Harbaugh, and it's not a, it's not a positive uh, move forward. Now, listen, I was one of the guys who his first couple of seasons – when he was chewing on refs, I, I said, hey, you know, this is going to come back to bite you, right? Um, you know, and, and we've seen this. Um, referees always win, right? The people who have the whistle, they'll get you if, if you're always on them. But there's a certain point where you're also working them, right? There's, there's a fine line between just enough and, and too much. And he's gone all the way to one extreme. The other thing, you know, the, the other great point that you made is, listen, there's not a ready-made replacement, okay? When Rich Rod was failing, always looming over the program was the possibility that we were going to get Jim Harbaugh, right? The same thing when Brady Hoke was here. So it was always break glass, and, and somehow you might be able to get Jim Harbaugh, who will be the perfect candidate, right? Well, here's the thing. If you fire Harbaugh, you need to have somebody right away, right? You don't have the luxury of taking a year or two off until you find the perfect uh, person. So when you bring somebody in, you're, you're committing to them for, you know, three to five years, right? So you make a great point that the uh, it's not a nuke the program and start over or or nothing, maybe you do keep Harbaugh and, and, you know, hopefully he can turn things around. I mean, listen, it would be best for everybody if Michigan were to go on this amazing tear, right, and and just wake up and we'd see, oh, my gosh, I can see it. I can see everything, what's going to happen. I can see a, a bright future ahead, right? Um, you know, having been through – um, when Rich Rod was brought in, and then when Hoke was brought in, and then when Harbaugh came in, uh, there's a lot of chaos that comes with that. Okay, there's you know the, the players leave, you 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 know the coaches get shuffled, the staff gets shuffled. There's a lot that Harbaugh has done to build the program up behind the scenes. Um, what's disappointing is is that. You know, I, you know, you can talk about I love that he takes the team on the spring trips, right? There's a lot of things that he's done to build up the brand of Michigan football. And as as kind of an oddball as he is, I like him, okay? And, and I like him not just because, you know, he went to Michigan and he played football here. I genuinely think he's a good coach. But the issue that we have, right, that we're seeing is that, and, and this is where I say you have to take away the name and take away – you know, the labels, what we've seen on the field doesn't look like a very well-run program. And that's that's really, 
that's the bitter pill that that uh, I think Michigan fans are Michigan fans are trying to swallow, and that's the problem I have right now. Is I look at these stats, and if I if I put my hand over the names and I just look at the numbers, and I look at the season numbers, and um, it's it's not a it's not a good story. Okay, it's it's really hard to dress that up. Yeah, I, I think that he's saying the right things, at least at this exact moment. You've got to measure everything, evaluate everything, get everybody competing for every inch on the staff, uh, in the locker room, and, and try to build something positive from the ground up, starting this week against Rutgers, in the next three weeks against the other bottom dwellers, and, and try to move forward and create an, a culture of competition that's going to be serving as a foundation for um, the end of this season and, and into the off season, hopefully that's more normal and, and next year. So that's all that he can do right now. And we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk about it as the situation evolves. All right. And uh, hopefully we'll have something better to talk about after next week's game versus Rutgers. That's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.